All right, welcome everyone once again to another Genesis study. Baruch Chaba, welcome all of you. Enter in, come on into our study as uh, we pick up Genesis one more time. Uh, once again, as always, I'm Scott. And I'm Brad, and this is not about us. So, yeah, once again, thank you for joining us. Uh, I forget, is this Genesis 33? 33. 33, yeah. all right. Wow. I had it. Um, I don't know why. I lose track of those so easily. I think I lost track on four, if <laughs> I remember. You did. Right, so, <laughs> anyway. Uh, right now we are about to get into Genesis 6, verse 7. But uh, there are a few other things I want to get into first, but the most important one is inviting the Holy Spirit to have her way in us, inviting Yahweh God to have his way in this study. So Brad, if you'd be so kind to let him know he's got his way. Yahweh, Yeshua, Spirit. As always, we just want to glorify you and give you honor and respect yes. the, the, the best way we can. Yes. And we really do hope that these podcast studies have been doing that for you. But in order to do that correctly, we understand it cannot be about us. Oh, yeah. This is always, always about you. Thank because you. you are the only one worthy the only one that matters. Long after Brad and Scott are gone, your name, your glory, glorious, wonderful name will continue on. You are the awesome one. So please help us. We can't do this without you. We need less of us and more of you. So please come in, be the honored guest, and help us decipher what you want us to know about our origins in Genesis, what you want us to know, and also what you want us to share with our listeners uh, to anyone and everyone that you bring to this. We love you. We give you honor, respect, and glory. Amen. Amen. Yes, definitely. Hallelujah. All the respect and glory to you, Yahweh God. So thank you for that, Brett. Alright, so, uh, let's get started. Instead of going right into Genesis 6-7, though, uh, right away, uh, which, initially, I was thinking I should have included this in the last podcast. It felt like I wanted to do Genesis 6, 5-7 as one thing, and I just felt like it was important to stop where we did last time, and... And I, initially, I was wondering why I had that that burden in my heart to stop there, keep this its own separate thing. And when I did this study, it felt really cool. It felt well. Anyway, we'll get into that. Uh, but before I start anything, there's something that's been on my heart lately that I wanted to share here, and it's been coming up uh, in these some of these verses in Genesis six, and it's come up in earlier verses too. Uh, I've, I've wanted to share it before, but it didn't feel at the time like a part of these Genesis studies, so I avoided it, and as I was going through this, it felt like it kept popping up, and I just felt like God was saying, no, this is, I, I want you to talk about this right here, right now, um, and that is, uh, this isn't going to feel like part of Genesis, so forgive me, but I want to briefly mention the the prosperity gospel, the prosperity message. And several of the people, um, not going to name any names, but several of the people behind it, some of the famous people that are really pushing it. But, and there's a reason for this. Um, I've seen a lot in media on, on the net lately. I don't know if you have, Brad, but a lot of them are under attack. Um, a lot of a lot of people being called out 
uh, by secular media, but, but also by, by other sites I go to, other, other people I listen to, other podcasts, other studies. A lot of people being attacked. And I, for one, I'm not naming any names because I, for one, do not want to attack anybody for the same reason that David did not want to attack Saul. Even though Saul was trying to kill him and Saul was obviously in the wrong uh, and had left God's will, David continually said, I will not curse the one that God has anointed as king. I will not come against him in that way. I, I'm not going to do it. And first off, before I go on, let me make one thing clear. I agree with the prosperity message. I agree 100% with the, the, the prosperity gospel that's been put out there, but I agree with it in the sense that it is one small piece of a very, very, very large picture of who Jesus is. And I think what has gone on in too many people, and I've seen this personally uh, in, in the people I've been around for, for many years, and I've seen this on a national scale, I've seen this on an international scale, I think that little piece is so, I guess, tasty for a better word. It's, it tastes so good. We love it. We want more. Uh, it's all we're focused on, a lot of us. That's our problem. We're focused on that to the near exclusion of all else. And that's the problem. Now, we've gone over, even in Genesis here, we've gone over uh, how blatantly, flat out, God states beyond any doubt, he wants us to prosper. Mm -hmm. He blessed Adam and Eve, prosper and multiply. There's many, many, many times in the gospel where he talks about prosperity and blessings. And these are all a part of who God is. And I'm not denying any of that but they're meant to be taken as a piece of the whole of who God is. Uh, for example, uh, is God love? Of course. Yeah, would you say God is love? Is the camera screwing up there? We're, we're good. Oh, okay. So God, God is love. We know this. That's obvious. Uh, but are the judgments of God just as correct and just as accurate? Absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of us want the love... We don't want the judgment. Mm -hmm. And we have to understand how the two work in tandem together and how the two are intertwined and meant to go together. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about with the prosperity message. Yes, he wants us to prosper, but how does he want us to prosper? I think we get that wrong. I think we limit God to wanting... God wants to prosper us and we hold on to that, but how we translate how he wants us to prosper it prosper us is a completely selfish way too many times and there's a my concern with the prosperity message is because uh, I and I can say this because I personally experienced this it's it's the Santa Claus effect yes if if you're a child and and you've been really good all year long and Santa Claus doesn't bring you any gifts you think Santa Claus hates you mm -hmm. you can't figure out any reason why when you've done nothing wrong, you did exactly what you were supposed to do, but he didn't bring you any gifts, so therefore Santa Claus must hate you. I yeah. was that with God. I, people say, God loves you. But I, I, my heart got hardened and I got bitter when I was a teenager because I didn't feel like God loved me. Yeah, My life was not good. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a good family. I didn't have these blessings that, uh, that they were talking about. So for a while, I, I was angry against God because I had this idea of God in my head. He didn't love me. Right. Now, and that's, that's the problem. I think about this, for example. Um, does, did God love the disciples? Yes. How many of them died horribly? <laughs> Majority yeah. of them. Did God love Paul the Apostle? Yes. He was murdered twice for the gospel. 
Think about that. And that was, doesn't, yeah. That doesn't even account the many times he was lashed and beat. Lashed and, and jailed. Out of town and, and exactly. You know. all of these, think of the Old Testament prophets that God had called mm-hmm. uh, to, to give the entire nation, the entire world, his message. And uh, not only were they beaten and abused and, and killed sometimes, but sometimes just the fact that God had called them to do horrible things. Uh, my prophet. I want you to go marry a whore and and I want you to suffer and and be in pain because she's going to keep whoring while she's married to you because that's how I feel about the nation of Israel that I'm married to and I this is the what this this is my command for you the prophet to be in this turmoil and pain uh my prophet over here I want you to go lay on your side for a Incredible number did just lay by the road because I'm gonna I'm gonna come against Israel I'm gonna come against the northern tribes and I'm gonna come against the, the Judah and so don't worry after so many days of laying on your left side you're gonna roll over and lay on your right side for another number of days just out there in the middle of nowhere just laying down doing nothing uh, God uh, commanded so many people to do so many things and when we look through the Bible. Uh, we tend to ignore that. We tend to say God doesn't want us in pain. I've 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 mentioned this before on other podcasts. I know people who say that uh, uh, Joseph uh, should never have been a slave, should never have been in prison. He should have just gone right to the top. If he had had enough faith, and if he had had enough wisdom, and been working in in the spirit the way he should have been, he should have just gone right to the top. Uh, been been in charge of Egypt all the way. Did the the rest of that story is, shows uh, Joseph's lack of faith and and this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. The prosperity message is right and it and it's blessing us. But God is an eternal God. God knows what how God wants to truly bless us is in how we connect directly to Him. It's in that reunification. It's in Adam and Eve leaving God, and it's the plan of salvation bringing us back. The true blessings that he wants us to experience are eternal. And this temporary life is, is but a vapor. It's nothing. God understands that. Any blessings we get in this life are, are an example of his love. They're meant to give us to show us true blessings for eternity. That's why he said, build up treasures that will last forever in eternity. Don't worry about the treasures you know, that, that are gone as soon as this life is over. They're worth nothing. And I know I'm, this is a long way of getting around to this, but I want you to think about something that we've gone over in Genesis here. Um, a lot of, now I'm not I know I'm going in deep with this right here I'm gonna get into a lot of trouble with a lot of people uh, but I don't care quite frankly uh, I'm gonna say it the way it is God understands more than we do what we need in order to truly bless us in order to truly prosper us I mean look at the book of Job and what God did to him and tore his life apart so that he might come to a greater understanding uh, and he might correct a sin in his life and he might correct a failing so that he could grow even closer to God and he was even more blessed in the, by the end of the book than he was at the beginning. And yes, it was God. For those of you who are saying, no, 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 it was Satan who did it. No, we're not going to get into that right now, but go back, read Job. God is given credit in the first two chapters three times. Direct credit for what happened to Job. Um, My point is this. A lot of people say, God, anything that bad, Brad just mentioned it, anything that bad that happens to us in this life can't be from God. That's not from God. Do you you hear that a lot? Mm -hmm. Genesis 6, verse 3. And Yahweh said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for that he is also flesh. 
Therefore shall his days be 120 years. I want you to fully consider. Now we've talked about how, we, how I believe that's grace. And God was, was understanding that he was going to lose us in eternity if he kept us up. So he limited our lifespan in order not to, to let us die in our sin and be in hell for all of eternity. But think about that, the practical application of what he just said. We were living to 920 years and he just said, I'm gonna cut your lifespan to 120. He literally just eliminated 800 years off our lifespan. But think about that. God killed us 800 years early. He killed us. He gave us, he, he removed 800 years. Oh no, God, God has made me healthy and wealthy and given me, God just removed 800 years from our lives. And that was grace. God, does God wanna heal you right now physically? Yes, he does, but he never wants that to be seen as the end result of his purposes. Whenever God works in a miraculous way in our lives here on earth, I believe it's to reveal his love for us and it's to draw us closer to him in an even more powerful way. Uh, can he heal us? Yes, he can. Can he give us whatever stuff you know, the, whatever you can think of, yes, he can. But he does so in his wisdom. And sometimes I do believe God takes away from us. The same way a, a loving parent removes something from a bratty child in order to help shape that child. Now, some of you are saying, now, wait a second. Genesis 6, 1 through 3, I because there is a debate uh, that God didn't reduce our lifespan to 120 years. That's not what that means. It means something else. Um, okay, uh, let's, let's just go along with that for a second. Let's completely ignore the fact, uh, on one hand, that man used to live to be nearly a thousand years old, and now the reality of it is, is that no man in the last, what, 4,000 years has ever lived to even reach 200 years? Would you say that's true? I'd say that's accurate. Yeah. So we used to live to be 900 plus, and now we live to be, we're, we're not hitting two centuries. Nobody has. Uh, so let, but let's ignore that right now, and let's just say, okay, that, that verse doesn't mean this. Let's go back further. Genesis 3, 22 through 23, which we've gone on before. And Yahweh Elohim said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and live forever. Therefore, Yahweh Elohim sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the earth from whence he was taken. Because Adam sinned, God said, we can't let him near the tree of life or he'll live forever. So forget going 920 to 120. God took us to 120 from eternity, all right? Oh my gosh, what a horrible, pathetic monster God is for killing us, for removing our eternal life, right? That's the way the prosperity message thinks about messages like this. And that's why people are messed up. The prosperity message is totally right when taken in conjunction correctly with the rest of the gospel and how God truly wants to prosper us. And those are the kind of things, the reason I bring this up, it's been a burden on my heart lately, is because when we interpret scripture the way we want to interpret scripture, selfishly, we ignore verses we don't like, or we reinterpret them incorrectly uh, to just say what we wanna say. And so often, so often, Brad, as we've seen, the verse 
uh, can be literally interpreted one way that people are grabbing, but it can also be interpreted five or six or seven or a hundred other ways that people just don't want to, they don't want to see, they don't want to go there. Yes. And that's what we're trying, that's one reason it's been a burden on my heart is, guys, we need to see God for who God is and not what man says he is. Guys, if selfishness is your motivation in any interpretation of scripture, question it, question it. Um, now, truth is truth, uh, whether we're selfish about it or not. So I'm not, I'm not saying anything you achieve selfishly is automatically wrong. Nah, it could still be true. But question, at the very least, your motivation for going there. So as we move on, again, we've said it before, we're going to say it again. We're not perfect. We're a couple of idiots going at this. <laughs> we're just trying to find God. We're just trying to let God show us who he is, the way he wants to be seen. Um, so I'm really sorry for getting off uh, on a tangent here real quick, but I felt as I'd been going through Genesis, God kept bringing this up to me, how important that was. And it just feels like it's been repeating me, and I had to say it. So I'm sorry. I'll move on now. Now, Genesis 6, 7. Before I read this, I'm going to go back to Genesis 6, 1, and we're going to read on because, as we've said before, uh, and, and we just said right now uh, in, in, in what I just talked about, the prosperity message, um, every verse, every instance, every story uh, we can break it down individually and see it. And God wants us to. We're limited, finite beings. We need to take things one piece at a time, one morsel at a time. We need to eat our food one bite at a time. Uh, but it was all meant to be understood, connected to everything else. And so I'm going to go back and we're going to reread Genesis 6 here and show how it connects and how everything has moved forward so far. And it came to pass... When men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of Elohim saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives whomsoever they chose. And Yahweh said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for that he is also flesh. Therefore shall his days be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of Elohim came in unto the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. The same were the mighty men that were of old, the men of renown. And Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented Yahweh that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Genesis 6, 7. And Yahweh said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and fowl of the air, for it repents me that I have made them. So several things here, and the reason I wanted to connect it all. Now, first of all, he talks about the wickedness of man was great in the earth. There's one thing, Genesis 6, uh, 1 through 6, we're connecting. He talks about uh, the sons of Elohim coming unto the daughters of men. And, and he, he ends this whole story with God, you know, Yahweh saying, uh, and the wickedness of man was great in the earth. He doesn't say, and the wickedness of these fallen angels right. was great and came unto man and tore them apart. He says the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And as I was researching some of this, I'm going online and uh, things are just popping up randomly. And, and uh, an image came up. One of many images came up of the sons of Elohim going unto the daughters of women. And it was an artist's rendition. And it shows this, this powerful angel swooping down and reaching out. And a woman of the earth like running and screaming. And ah, he's going to get me. And I thought, how wrong that is. Yeah. How wrong that is. I, when the, when, the son, when the sons of Elohim came unto mankind and took them, it says it took them wives. It doesn't say, and they raped and molested them. 
It doesn't say even they took them concubines. It took them sexual slaves or anything like this. It says it took them wives. They joined in companionship. Right. Uh, this is a situation where the daughters of men were going, oh, he wants me? Oh, I feel so honored. I, oh, yes, absolutely. Look at this handsome, glorious, godlike figure before me. I'm going to go in willingly. I'm going to join with him. This is the wickedness of man. Is This is, this is humanity uh, lunging after this. This is not them freaking out and running in fear. This is them going, I can have that? Absolutely. Elohim, Yahweh, God, I'm going to leave him aside. Look at what's amazing before me. I'm going after the lust of my own eyes, the lust of my own heart, the, the lust of my own flesh. And I'm going to chase after this. Uh, and, and the Nephilim, we, we talked about how that was a, a picture of uh, causing men to fall. Right. But they were, you know, they were. The, the men were, were tripping over this and falling over these stumbling blocks, but they were running after this selfish pleasures that they felt they could achieve uh, by this union that we're talking about right here in Genesis 6. So now, in Genesis uh, 6, 7, in connection with all of this, Now, again, it's kind of shotgun. Different things jumped out at me at different times. I want to start with one thing right here. It very clearly says in 1 through 6, Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And then in Genesis 6, 7, he says, I'm going to blot out man, both man and beast and creeping thing and fowl of the air. Brad, why did he wipe out the animals too if it was man who was being wicked? I have some, <laughs> I have some crazy theories uh, about you know, genetic manipulation and things that were going on at this point too. Um, Bring them up. I, I'm probably going there myself, so go for it. Um, well, you, you and I have both have read some books about these ideas that, um, you know, Satan was... The enemy was using um, genetic manipulation even then mm -hmm. in, a certain, in certain lines of men to create kind of his bastardized version of humans. Satan mm -hmm. always wants his own... Whatever God has created, Satan kind of wants that too, but Satan is not a creator, so he's got to manipulate and do that. And I think, I, I personally have this belief that uh, the the genetics were impure in the creation at this point. So God found a way through the pure line of Noah um, and the animals that he brought forth onto the ark. He found a way to purify the genetic tampering that had been happening. Okay, so let's go with that right there. So what you're saying uh, is, did the animals sin against God? No. No. So when he says he's going to wipe out all of the animals, is this a how dare you slimy, filthy little beings uh, for the sinful, horrible thing that you have done, I'm going to destroy you. I hate you all for what you've done. Is this that picture? No. No. So let's go back to what we had talked about in our last podcast about repentance and how it does not mean that God repented. God went, oh, no, what have I done? I'm such an idiot. I screwed up. Look at the error I have created. I've got to make it right. No, we talked about last time. I'm not going to go too deep into it here because uh, you can check out the last podcast if you want. But it talked about how God, he was sorry, not in a, in, not in a way that he's taking responsibility for what has happened uh, and he made an error. He's sorry in a piteous way. He's sorry in a compassionate way. Uh, in the same way that, you know, someone says, I'm feeling very ill. And you say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You're not accepting blame. 
you're, you're just showing compassion. You're showing empathy uh, or, or sympathy uh, or both uh, for this person who's hurting. And God was feeling sorry for the horrible things we were going through. This is what repentance means here. And again, he repeats it here. For it repents me that I have made them. Uh, in the original Hebrew, it, it, it's literally, it, it's, it's just, it's making him feel bad for what these are all going through. Not just mankind, but the animals that he's created too, because they're suffering. And I agree with Brad. And we've already talked about this in other podcasts. We, we've alluded to the fact that the Bible talks about how uh, the Bible uh, does go into, like, for example, in Jude, where he says the fallen angels, just like uh, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, went after strange flesh. And how that talks about they uh, were starting to have sex with animals and other creatures. And books non-biblical books such as Enoch get into greater detail about how that kind of thing was going on. Uh, now, we I do think that the animals were being corrupted genetically, were being attacked in this way, were suffering. And so what we see here is a combination, the repentance being a piteous thing. I want to help you. And God going to wipe out all the animals. They didn't sin. They did nothing wrong. So this is not, we, we start to recognize this is not an attack. But how can it not be an attack, Brad, when God says, I will blot out man. In fact, the King James Version and Bible Hub both change that to, I will destroy man whom I have created. Now again, Let's go back. Let's take the whole thing together. God has just said in Genesis 6-3, um, man is running from me. Because of his fleshly nature, he's running away from me. And I can't let that go on. Because he's going to be separated from me for all of eternity if I let this go on. So... And we've already discussed this in another podcast. I believe it's grace. God said, I'm going to limit his lifespan to 120 years. God has just made that proclamation. If he now, right, right now, immediately following that says, I'm going to destroy him utterly off the face of the earth. He's not going to exist anymore. Man is just gone. We're ending this right now. He's a liar. God just said, I'm going to lower his lifespan to 120 years. Right after I kill him? How, how does that make logical sense right. at all? It doesn't. If God has just said, I'm going to limit his lifespan to 120 years, doesn't that indicate a plan for man's future for the race of mankind? So how could he be saying, I'm going to annihilate him off the face of the earth? So, blot out. King James Version and Bible Hub say destroy. This is Strong's Concordance 4229. Makah. Now, one of, the, one of the meanings of this word, one of the lower meanings, it can also mean meanings, is blot out or destroy. So the interpretation here is not incorrect. I'm not saying the English translators are idiots and they got it wrong. Uh, especially in the context of what they're seeing uh, with the, the flood coming and all of that, totally get why they interpreted it this way. And uh, It can also mean to wipe, as in to wipe away or wipe out. So we get this picture, and, and we see it. We know what's coming in the flood, and flood's coming. He's going to blot out. He's going to destroy. He's going to wipe out. Uh, it's, an, it, it's a good interpretation. It's a good word to use understanding the context of all that. Would you agree? Yeah. But the primary definition of this word is to stroke or to rub by implication to erase. Now we see that in this context of the stories, I'm going to erase mankind. 
I'm just going to just wipe them out. I'm just going to blot them out. I'm going to rub them out. But think about this for a second. It can also mean to smooth as with oil. It can also mean to touch. In other words, to reach to. Guys, we just got done talking about, in Genesis uh, 6, 1 through 6, all of this combined, God has a plan for man. I'm going to limit his lifespan to 120 years out of grace to help him come to me more easily. We talked about how it repented Yahweh, means compassion, means he was sighing, he, he was just in pain. He was grieved over the, the, the trouble uh, that man was causing himself because of his fleshly nature, his sin. And it was hurting him. We know that an eternal, perfect God who knew past, present, and future before it happened, he, he is everything. He's on both sides. He's in the middle. He is everywhere. He knew this was going to happen when it did. It still hurt him that it had to happen, but he knew it was going to happen. Guys, this word, blot out, this word destroy, it also means reach out mm -hmm. and touch. It also means I'm going to anoint him with oil. Guys, we're seeing I'm going to kill him. We're seeing vengeful, wrathful God. What we should be seeing is, I'm going to save him. Yeah. I'm going to save him. I see these horrible things that are happening, and I'm going to reach out, and I'm going to, I'm going to bring him to me. I am going to anoint. I'm going to protect him with oil. I'm going to save man from the hideous, sin that is destroying him. And I am going to blot out, I am going to destroy that which is killing him. And that's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying here. We can, uh, so we need to understand the salvation that God is working here for mankind. Not see God as a hateful, vengeful, uh, uh, Zeus-like being who just says, I'm sick of this, I'm sick of you, just, just, just wipe you all out, throw lightning bolts on everything, I'm done with you all. No, this is a God who is crying, who is grieved at his very core for his beloved that is suffering, and he's going to take action to save us. We need to see the flood as redemption and grace and not as vengeance. At least not as vengeance on us. God wreaks vengeance, but he doesn't, he's not destroying us. He's destroying that which destroys us because of his grace and because of his love. The word picture here for makah, mem, kaf, hey. What I came up with was the hand of water reveals. And I just thought that was, especially at this moment in time when the flood is about to come. Uh, I just, I, not, nothing, that word picture didn't make me go, oh my goodness, do you see the picture? It just, it just kind of connected yeah. nicely. Yeah. for me so I want to move on real quick we'll just move on we'll just we'll just stop there with 6 7 Genesis 6 8 but Noah or Noah found grace in the eyes of Yahweh are you reading my notes <laughs> no <laughs> no I'm staring blankly <laughs> Now, something I just wrote down here. Um, Brad just finished uh, Revelation 12, part 2. Yes. Is that right? Yep. And you talk about the eyes of God. 
being a flame of fire. Mm -hmm. And as you were reading that, it occurred to me, so I got to write that down. And I went and I, I jumped in. I wrote this down as you were recording that. Because Noah found grace in the eyes of Yahweh. Oh. And I made that connection. His eyes is a flame of fire. And we talked about in that one, Revelation 12 too, about how the eyes being a window into the soul and everything you bring in. And, and if you see when Jesus sees things that wants to destroy and wants to pervert and want to corrupt, that flame incinerates it. And, and all that goes in is purified and made whole and made righteous. And Noah found grace in the eyes of Yahweh. I just thought that was special. Yeah. Now, I've always translated this verse as God saying, I looked down on the earth, all was wickedness, except for Noah. He was righteous. He is a wonderful person. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but as I reread this, I got something else out of it that was really special for me. Now, grace. What? And this kind of goes back to, you've heard this before, um, we don't seek God, he seeks us. Have you heard, you heard that? Yeah. Uh, the Bible is not about God, man's chase for God, but about God's chase for man. Right? Right. And you've just given me another example of how God is reaching for us. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, uh, there are so many examples of God reaching for us. Right. Saving us. So, stopping us from hurting ourselves. I mean... So this is... And it kind of gets into... I had a discussion with someone else earlier. We're talking about the, the unforgivable sin. And how uh, certain... You know, people who have committed the unforgivable sin cannot come back to God because unforgivable, which I interpret as God is no longer reaching to them. Therefore, the way is cut off. We require grace in that God is reaching out to us and inviting us and wooing and calling us. If that extended hand, so to speak, if that grace is retracted, there's no way we can get to God. The bridge is closed. Uh, this is why Satan and the fallen angels cannot receive redemption. God is retracting it. He is not offering it to them. Uh, so grace, we can only achieve salvation through the grace of God. It is a gift. However, we also have been given free will for a reason. Mm -hmm. We need to, in, our, in and of ourselves, accept that grace. He will not make us. We can deny that grace. So even though his hand is reaching out to us, we can say, I, I won't want anything to do with it. So this verse right here connected that in a very powerful way to me. Because it says, Noach found grace. In those two words, grace has to be extended. But found, that word found involves a seeking. It involves an action. Yep. So I always, in other words, I read this as God just looking and going, Noah, I like him. Oh, he's been pretty good. So I will go down to Noah. And, you know, I, you can't imagine this as a kid. Noah just hanging around, being a good guy. And Noah, ah, what, whoa, whoa, what just happened there? God, you know, you talking to me? You, you kind of get this idea as, as God just kind of comes down to Noah. But Noah found grace. So I imagine grace is over here, just waiting, but Noah had to reach for it. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, was a very powerful connection between those two ideas. God has to extend grace, but we also have to reach back. There's a connection on, on both of our parts that has to happen. Which takes a person not being selfish. Mm -hmm. So if the rest of this world is wicked and selfish, only chasing after their own selfish lusts or whatever. And Noah's the only one that is able to look away from that and look for the hand reaching for him. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I, I never considered it that way. That's, that, that's pretty cool. So, 
Now let me get into some of these, the word pictures here. Uh, now, Noach, we've already gone into before in the lineage of Adam to Noach, and it means rest. It's Strong's Concordance number 5146. Uh, so we're repeating some things from other podcasts, but it's important to see here in connection to this. And it means rest. Now, we've mentioned this before, but it's important to note that Noach's name is mentioned 40 times in Genesis. 40 is the number of trial. Yeah. 40 years was the number, uh, or I'm sorry, for, it rained 40 days and 40 nights. Sorry, I'm getting off. I'm thinking of the children of Israel marching through the desert for 40 years. But that's also a 40. It uh, is a, a 40. Uh, but it is interesting that Noach's name, which means rest, is mentioned exactly 40 times in Genesis, the number of trial. Huh. Um, now, the word picture for Noach, Nun, and, and uh, Kit, uh, we've d discussed this before. Uh, I came up with the Son of God is our protection, uh, which can obviously be seen in the Ark story. Mm -hmm. But let's just move on with that right now. Noach means rest. And then I looked up found. Noach found. So this word found is Strong's Concordance 4672, and it's pronounced, from what I understand, uh, Strong's Concordance pronounces it ma-tsa. So ma, M-A-W, phonetically, tsa, T-S-A-W. Now, uh, I'm not sure if I am pronouncing it correctly because I looked on other sites and it kind of pronounces this word ma-sa, M-A-S-A, like that. So it's somewhere in there. But for now, I'm going to say matzah, and it means to come forth. In other words, to appear or exist. Transitively, it means to attain. In other words, to find or acquire. Figuratively, it just means to occur, to meet or be present. Now, this same word was also used in Genesis 2.20, saying there was not found a helpmeet for Adam. So this is, they're looking at all the animals and they couldn't find, they couldn't discover. They, they you know, a, a helpmeet for Adam did not exist, did not appear, did not show up to them. So that's what it's talking about here. It, it was not attained. The word picture here, mem, sade, aleph, uh, something I came up with was the water of the word pulls us to Adonai. So I just thought that was a, a just for the word itself, found, yeah. was the water of the word pulls us to Adonai. I found it. It's the water. And again, it kind of comes back to me is... Uh, I found grace. It's like found, even in this word picture, says the water of the word is the one pulling me uh, to who Adonai is. Even though I have to reach out, I can't reach out unless God's reaching to me first. Right. So I, I just liked that picture there. Then I went to grace. Noach found grace. This is one of the few verses I've done pretty much every word, just all the way through. Uh, but I found I, something special here. Grace, Strong's Concordance 2580, and it's the word Cain. And it is graciousness. In other words, subjectively, it's kindness or favor. Objectively, this word means beauty. And I thought that was really fascinating. Grace is beauty. Yeah. Now, it means grace, uh, something that's pleasant, something that's precious. It comes from 2603 Kanan, which means to bend or stoop in kindness to an inferior. So it means basically... It's unmerited favor. It's, it's, it's grace always comes from a superior to an inferior who can't do it on his own. 
Right. And it's to show mercy upon. Now, the word picture here. Uh, kit, noon. Uh, a couple things I came up with. This word for grace. The inner chamber of life. Uh, the separation of the faithful. Or the protection of the descendants. There's just a few things I came up with in the word picture for grace. Eyes. Noach found grace in the eyes. And you went over this uh, in your last uh, revelation study in the Greek. And we've gone over this before in Genesis. Uh, so I'm repeating something that's already been said. Ayin, Yod, Nun is pretty cool. The word picture here. Uh, uh, because Ayin, Yod, Nun spells Ayin. Which is it was something pretty cool. The word for eyes is Ayin. And the first letter is Ayin. And we've mentioned this in another podcast. It's just pretty amazing to me that the word, the word Ayin begins with the letter Ayin, which also is a reference to eyes. Right. So there's very definitely a heavy focus on eyes and on vision and on seeing and understanding and recognizing. There is a heavy emphasis on that in the Bible. And the possible interpretation I came up with was, uh, and now I changed this uh, from the, the first time. Something, something new I came up with for this time was understand that his hands gave you life. Understand. Mm -hmm. I like that. Understand that his hands gave you life. Yeah. And again, it comes back to this theme of grace. We're reaching for it, but it's grace. They've both got to be in play. Right. You've got to understand that he's the one who did everything. Uh, there's a fascinating combination going on here. But this word, ayin, means eyes, literally or figuratively. Uh, by analogy, a fountain, as in the eye of the landscape, and it means outward appearance, can also mean color. So just, just, the, just beauty, color, things that give life. It's not just black and white. There's, there's beauty to it. it just uh, the color of all that he's created. And so, last word, but Noach found grace in the eyes of, of Yahweh. Now the King James Version says Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which signifies that in Hebrew it was the word Yahweh. And it's literally yod He vav He, which means the self-existent or eternal. I mean, that's what his name means. And I've talked about this before in the word picture, yod He vav He. a possible interpretation is behold the hand, behold the nail is an obvious reference to what Yeshua did for us. But I wanted to come up with something else here. So I, I looked, another picture I came up with was the finished work is revealed. The joining together is revealed. Now, all of that together was something special for me. Noach found grace in the eyes of Yahweh. I thought we could take the definitions of all of these and reinterpret it as rest exists in the kindness and favor of the eyes of the Eternal One. <laughs> That's beautiful. And again, um, this comes right after this whole story of what we see, we tend to see, is death and destruction and a vengeful God talking about how I'm sick of man, I'm going to destroy him. Guys, I hope you're understanding as we go further and further with this how God's love and grace is always at work. It's always at work. And we wrap this small piece up here in Genesis 6 it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them 
that the sons of Elohim saw that the daughters of men, that they were fair. And they took them wives, whomsoever they chose. And Yahweh said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever. He is also flesh. Therefore shall his days be 121 years, 120 years, sorry. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also after that when the sons of Elohim came in unto the daughters of men and they bore children unto them. The same were the mighty men that were of old, the men of renown. And Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented Yahweh that he made men made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. And Yahweh said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and fowl of the air for it repents me that I have made them. Genesis 6, starting with verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, the sons of Elohim saw the daughters of men that they were fair. And the daughters of men embraced them and chased after that instead of chasing after Yahweh and became their wives, the ones that the sons of Elohim chose. And Yahweh said, this can't go on because I'm gonna lose man for all of eternity. Because he is flesh and living in his flesh and chasing after his flesh, I'm going to lose him. So I'm going to reduce his lifespan to 120 years. Now the Nephilim, those who caused man to fall further, were on the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of Elohim came in unto the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. The same were the mighty men of old, the men of renown that continued to draw man further away from God. And Yahweh recognized that this evil that man was chasing for himself, continually separating himself from God, was all over the earth. And every imagination and all the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it grieved heart. It made him sigh. It hurt him. It made him cry for us. It made him pity the state that we were in. And so he said, I will save man. I will reach out to him. I will anoint him with oil and I will protect him because I have a plan from the beginning of time to save him from what I knew was coming. For I am so sorry for what is going on for him at this time. Rest exists in the kindness and favor of the eyes of the Eternal One. Any thoughts? I've been kind of lost in this brokenheartedness for a moment. That So Jesus says that the end times will be like the days of Noah. And in the days of Noah, then, this means that only one person, only one person on the earth was accepting the outreaching hand. Yeah. And that just that's just that thought is breaking my heart. So, if we really are in the end times, and this really are like the days of Noah again, as there's plenty of evidence to suggest that we can't let it just be one person that's reaching out for that hand. This is why this is important. Yeah. That's that's it. I, I don't know what else to say about that. Just We can't let it just be one person again. He's reaching out for us. We need to reach back. I 
I think that's the best line to end this on. So, as always, I'm Scott. And I'm Brad. And, as always, this is not about us. <laughs>